0: it's my desire and I'm doing it and I'm wiped out and chasing it. Maybe God wasn't giving it to me.
1: Welcome to the Shepherd Heart Leader Podcast, where we explore topics that help strengthen your ability to care for those under your leadership. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what to do when passion stops for our assignment. You know, we all hit walls in our life and work and ministry where the passion just seems to fade away. In today's conversation, we're going to talk about how to regain that passion again. Well, today we're going to talk about what to do when the passion stops. So Nate, I'm going to start this question with you. What would you say to the leader who does not have passion in their role anymore?
0: Well, um, it happens to everyone. It doesn't just happen once. It can happen many times throughout your lifetime. In my life, it's happened at different stages. It's not me, It does not mean that something's wrong with you, that you're bad, that you're flawed, that you need to go into the, the heap of trash and that your best days are behind you. Um, it happens to everyone. So I think the first thing I would just say, Hey, let's chill out. It happens to everyone. In fact, if I were speaking right now in a church, i go, turn to your neighbor and tell him you too? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because in reality, we all hit the wall with passion. Now, passion itself is encompassing a whole lot of things. It's the drive. It's the why. It's the energy um, and the capacity to do it. Sometimes people lose their passion not because... They don't care about something anymore, but there's a physical component to where they're at. They just hit empty on the gas tank and uh, doesn't mean they need to get up and do something else. It may mean they just need to fill their tank so they can go back and go the next leg of the journey. Some people, other people are in a place where they've lost their direction. So from a vision standpoint, they don't know where they're going. They feel like they're lost and they've lost the passion to do the daily things that they're doing. In that case, the solution is different. You're looking for a clarity about vision or at least about today and what you should do. Other people, they've lost their passion because they traded their original passion for good things with something that was a substitute. And um, they started doing something else. They picked up other habits. They uh, got a group of friends, their target changed. Um, Now they want to be more popular and they forgot they're called to be a shepherd. I mean, those kind of things happen in life. And it just kind of got off the path somewhere along the way. And in all cases, the first step is always coming to yourself and recognize where you're at, but bowing your knee before heaven and just simply saying, I'm stuck, I'm lost, I've lost my way, I'm empty, I feel this. To not hide any of that from your creator. Uh, I often will go to the, the model in the story of Elijah after Mount Carmel, how he does this amazing thing on Mount Carmel, sees God move and the fire comes and consumes the altar, and, and then he's on the run for his life. And he's on empty and he hits this spot where he's so fatigued he doesn't wanna try anymore. In a sense, he's suicidal. He's ready to quit. Now, he's just run so hard and so far and so long that physically he's depleted. It's the knowledge that his somebody wants to kill him. And so from a, from a, um, a fear standpoint, he's just got this knowledge that I could die and somebody wants to kill me. And then he's thinking about his calling and his ministry side of things. And he's like, what's it worth? I just had the high point in my life and now I'm gonna die anyways and there's nobody else. And so he verbalizes those things. God hears that and God has his own way that he fixes the issue. And so in Elijah's case, he threw him into a deep sleep. He ministered to him with an angel who delivered him food. And, uh, And kind of restored his strength. And so from a passion standpoint, I think that we have to go through a process of being able to say, I recognize I'm not where I should be. Something's lost. Verbalize it to God, give some time for replenishment. Then you can make adjustments. And in Elijah's case, the final part of his adjustment was to listen for the whisper that God would speak to him out of a, while he was in the cave. So in my own case, um, I've had moments where uh, I started off and anybody that starts off in a journey, we often start off with great monstrous visions like epic. This is going to be amazing. Up and to the right. Everybody's going to follow what I say. Everybody's going to agree with me. I'm going to pray and there's going to be signs and wonders and miracles.
1: And, and at time, I mean, don't you think there are times that God's dropping that vision in?
0: Yeah. God puts it in like a preview of a movie down the road, but it's also mixed with some unrealistic parts too. I think God drops a vision, but we also have our own desires and time and life and discipleship have a way of filtering out what's God and what's Nate what's God and what's the person. So, um, and I've, I've had those moments. So like, when I look back, uh, I have basically three 10 year segments of my ministry that I look back on that I've had different passion challenges, crisis, if you will. And, uh, early on while I was a pastor, it was, what am I, where am I going? I'm not even, cared about. I'm in the hallway. I'm just taking care of problem kids. I don't know if I'll ever be anything. I'm hearing about revival in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in my home church. And there may be revival coming at Emmanuel where I was serving, but I felt like I wasn't even going to be on the platform. I wasn't going to be a part of it. So there was an insecurity crisis that challenged my passion to do the things that I was assigned to do. And during that season, I really feel like God taught me that, that my solution at the moment was just to put my head down and be faithful with what he did give me and let him worry about what he wanted to give me. And I think God was testing my, my capacity, like David out in the field, taking care of sheep. Would I care for these sheep when no one was looking, when it seemed irrelevant and insignificant would I stay faithful? And, um, and I think in some ways that was a test as well. And testing doesn't mean you pass or you fail. Testing is meant to strengthen your, your resolve, your identity, what you're about. And for me, the process of testing made it more clear that I serve the Lord, not the opportunity to be seen or noticed and that kind of thing. Second in testing was one that we've mentioned in other podcasts, but just serving under a leader where um, their spouse was essentially throwing spears at me, accusing me of wanting their their job. and I had to test my own heart and, and look at my heart and go to, is that true? Should I leave? Am I And I you know, from a passion standpoint, I'm like, it'd be a lot easier just to pull out of this thing and not deal with the pain, not deal with the conflict. Um, but of course um, we persevered and God was faithful and my boss ended up um, going and taking a church somewhere else and um, I was asked to lead. And then I stick stepped around, into a new role.
1: If you stick around long enough, things have a way of yeah, working Yeah, out. You know, out.
0: one thing that I do think is absolutely critical is remaining faithful, even when you don't feel it.
1: Or even when you don't understand.
0: Yes. Like, if you don't, you miss out, you start over. It's like you're climbing a ladder and maybe you're stuck at the second rung. (laughs) But if you're like, I'm stuck here for life, I don't wanna be faithful, then you wanna go to another ladder, you start at the bottom and you get back up to that same rung. So, you know, if you wanna learn your lesson, just stay faithful, stick it out. And I, I feel like that was a big deal for me. From a passion standpoint, I also found a sense of encouragement because sometimes when you're discouraged and you feel unnoticed and overlooked and you feel like man I, I, is this a waste um, I had some mentors that I chased, and um, there's barely a time that I won't mention mentors, but that was the t- season that I also was driving downtown to North Central University and ha- scheduling appointments with Dr. Gordon Anderson, the president of the school, and I was just processing with him, and he helped me navigate um, another season where I felt like I, had, I had the, the passion had lifted. And uh, I've referenced this before, but it was during one of our conversations with him, that he really helped me understand that it wasn 't about um, the passion in this case; it was about adrenaline, like I was addicted to the feeling, not to the calling, mm-hmm. and he challenged me to just stay faithful and I might be more fruitful and not feel as good as I did when I was staying up all night and 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 burning the candle at both ends and all of that, just be faithful, invest in leaders and and during that season, I learned that I couldn't trust my feelings, that I needed to trust the voice, and I was going to be wherever God called me to be for life until He moved me. I'm going to pick up that cross and and follow. And uh, you know, I talked to to Dr. Anderson. I had my dad. I would talk to, and he's the greatest encourager in the world. Um, sometimes you would encourage me.
1: And go, <laughs> like Nate. How you say sometimes <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "All right." I'm not
0: saying you didn't. I'm just saying during those seasons, I, I, I had to. I, I, I went to multiple. More. I had a team, Nate, uh, and you were on my team. So, um, and you know, during the 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 times that you know, I felt inadequate, like even in the family, um, because you know, you've referenced the stories even in your messages. About how we were we were very poor. I wasn't making a lot as a youth pastor, um, wasn't making anything as a youth pastor. And I remember we were getting the government assistance for milk and cheese oh, and.
1: Yeah, being a wick. wick get the- and. Uh, Good program.
0: And when I would look to you, I would feel embarrassed. I'm sorry, I can't provide more for you. And so that has a way of dampening the passion. But then when I would get back in my prayer time, and uh, God was giving me messages for the students. And I was like, I can live for this. Um, so there's a tension in that. But I found my strength in the Lord. You know, the scripture says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I think any leader has to learn to encourage themselves in the Lord. You know, if it takes all night, you're praying through and you turn over things. I think when you hold on to discouragement when you hold on, to frustration, when you hold on to bitterness and anger, or you hold on to, um, uh, the desire to, to be liked and to be noticed. If you keep that in your own heart, your heart will be weighed down and you'll lose your passion. But if you take that and you acknowledge it before God and go, God, I I feel like I'm overlooked. I feel like, but you verbalize it to God. Then you give God permission or an open door to speak into your heart. And And he restores the joy of your salvation. I think of Psalm 51, and I often will go back to Psalm 51. Of course, this is the psalm that David prayed after he had sinned. But in his prayer to God, he acknowledges to God what surely against you and you only have I sinned, he says. Um, uh, But he says, but Lord, uh, have compassion on me. Create in me a clean, a new heart. Do something new in me, and it was in those moments that I learned to do that. Fast forward into when I was at North Central, um, you know, I've often said that a person that has passion has vision. Passion and vision go together. Well, when the clearer the the picture is for vision, the more passion we often will have for something. When I shifted into into working at North Central. I had moved out of pastoring into teaching and into an administrative role that didn't make sense. It wasn't clear to me why God wanted me to to be there. So I had to search for vision. I had to listen for God's new vision. And I discovered that I found it in the daily, not in the big picture. Like I didn't know where my career was going, but I felt like I was doing exactly what God had assigned me to do. And I was called to His voice, not to a particular job or a particular uniform. And if I could stay in that zone where I was just serving the Lord, um, not based on other people's responses to it, that's where I found new vision. Then I discovered, oh no, no, no! I God had purpose for me. He had given me a. I an insight along the way of gaps in the church world and youth ministry. And I wrote on things during my master's degree program and did my thesis on developing future senior leaders in the assemblies of God and developed a peer mentoring program. And God gave me vision to fill the burdens of new things that I saw. And I've often said that burden is the birthplace for vision. And so sometimes even in the, the valley of the soul, in the Deep absences of of feeling or um, reason for why we do what we do. That's the very place, if we open up to God, where He'll begin to give you pictures of what could be and should be, and that's what vision is. And became clear to me, and um, and I I, I've really relied on that. So that North Central season that became really a navigating based on the call and the voice of God, not based on the stability of the career or the assignment that I was given. And then finally, when I came back to, to Emmanuel as the lead pastor, um, it, it was different for you and I, wasn't it? Like, we weren't like, wow, we, had, we get to be the lead pastor. We had yeah. our
1: eyes wide open on that. We
0: were like, do we want to do that? I pick up the cross. Do we want to
1: pick up that cross? We knew the Lord was telling us to do it. So we just, keep obeying. But what pulled you through the waves of discouragement, even during Emmanuel time? I know you talk about passion and through all those years, you know, when you weren't youth, uh, you weren't pastoring, I was going to say, you weren't youth pastoring, but you're at North Central, Yeah, weren't senior pastoring. We would have ideas. If God ever called us into ministry, this is what we'd see. And we've been around Emmanuel long enough to know the vision that the Lord laid on the founding pastor's heart and the things that is you know, been spoken over this place. Yeah. So, what has pulled you through the waves of discouragement? You yeah. know, when you've got vision, you come in, you want to do some remodeling and some building yeah. and that kind of thing. Maybe talk to our so listeners about talk that.
0: about waves of discouragement, right? Oh, the first wave was not a wave of discouragement. When we came back, it was the honeymoon. Like people were coming back to Emanuel, and the attendance was going up, and our kids' numbers were going up, and our parking lot was full, and it was like everything was up to the right. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And um, I'm a son of the house, so I know the church. And I thought things would be easier for me um, because of my history. Um, and uh, the truth is, you don't get to skip stages of development and leadership. And so, in the second year, um, is when I really felt like the Lord was speaking to us through a series of circumstances to add on a new campus to Emmanuel, which would be our first new campus. And it came through adoption of another church and it wasn't clear the process. So we had to figure out how to do it. And I'm one of those guys that just goes, we'll just figure it out. And you're one of those people that goes, well, how? We need the steps to do it and the details, and the details matter. But during that period of time, there were more questions than I could answer. I didn't have answers for all the questions. And um, it was tiring. And we're taking on this new location. And at the same time, I'm thinking ahead five years about what our historic Spring Lake Park location building would look like and feel like in relationship to the mission. Because in the mission, I mean, our building, although it had gone through five or six building projects and people, it was a great facility. And it was geared for a previous time period. I was looking at young families and how they were now choosing churches based on their kids ministry and the facilities and does it feel secure, all of those things. And so I'm like, I know we're going to have to do some kind of renovations, but to do renovations on an older building meant that we were going to have to raise a lot of money. And so, um, so I'm grappling with the stress or the weight on the emotional skeleton of adding on a location, and we're starting a capital campaign. We've gone through all of the, the preparation of, of, of sketches and drawings of what it could look like. And we're also going through these pie meetings where we're meeting with people in our church and people's homes, and we're sharing the vision. And the desire was to share the vision, but then ask people to pray about it and participate in the burden. And uh, there's a whole capital campaign teams and people were building it. And we didn't really know how much we could raise. But because of my previous two years, I was optimistic. We're going to raise $10 million. It's just going to happen. Well, we hadn't done a capital campaign at a big scale since like 1997 at the church. And this was now 2016, 2017. And nobody knew how much we could raise. So we dreamed it at a $10 million level. And I remember the consultant that we had, Roger Lane, he walked me through and he said, this is what's going to happen. You do the pie meetings, you share it. Then there's this uh, a week before we share with the rest of the church for commitments, we do this leader gathering. And that's your, your biggest givers, your leaders in the church. And usually you get about half of what your total amount will be. In that meeting.
1: And didn't they kind of think we could get 10 million?
0: Yeah, he literally thought we could. They looked at the budget. They looked at where they're at. They looked at where people were. And so I'm thinking, this is great. Well, that night that we did the leader gathering and the the commitments came in, to God be the glory, there were great commitments. And uh, and it, it came out to $1.1 $1. $1 million on that night. And that night I realized, we're not gonna even get close to 10 million. We're not even gonna get close to 5 million. We're gonna be lucky if we get to 3 million. And it was like all the optimism in my balloon popped because I felt the pressure as a lead. It was my responsibility, nobody else's. What do we do now? What are we gonna do pastor? You're the one that led us here. I felt like Moses. Moses must've have, must have felt like they've come out of, out of uh, Egypt and they've crossed over the Red Sea and now they're out in the wilderness and they don't have food. And the people are like, Pharaoh treated us better than you're treating us. And that's the way I felt. I was like, man, this is not a good feeling. And never told anyone, but I began to feel a sense of loss. I was insecure. I was empty. I wondered if I would missed it. I, I lost my confidence in so many ways. I still had to preach every Sunday, still had to lead our staff meetings. And uh, and by the way, we added Elk River, our Elk River location during the Capitol campaign. So there's another stress of meeting with people. I had developed uh, since our Maple Grove launch, a, a neurological twitch uh, that was probably combined with the, the lack of of, of, uh, sleep and stress and all of that combined. And, um, and I remember, uh, Christmas time, um, feeling depressed and feeling like I couldn't breathe and feeling like, um, this pressure on me and I, I didn't know what to do. And right about that time we were dealing with that neurological thing. And I went to the neurologist and they did a overnight, uh, test on me where they strapped all the things on my brain and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And in the, in my thoughts, I was like, maybe, maybe my life is falling apart. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I have a disease. Maybe, I mean, I literally had all of those things and I didn't share any of that with you during that time. You knew I was going to a neurologist and all of that. I had gained weight and I was stressed and So I hit the pinnacle of a wave upon wave, upon wave, upon wave. And, um, and I remember after Christmas just saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm willing to serve you as long as I live. And even if it fails, even if things don't work out, I'll still serve you and I'll do my best. And my vision went down. My expectation went down. Like I wasn't trying to climb for something. I was just trying to be with the Lord. And I would say over the next couple years, the Lord just steadily rebuilt me and he rebuilt me as I was faithful. So my wave of discouragement and my passion was restored in a different way. It was like Humpty Dumpty got put back together in a different way. And then a couple years later is when we hit COVID.
1: That's what I was going to say, then COVID. But
0: here's the coolest part of it. Because when we hit COVID, I didn't fall apart. I had already gone through it. Mm -hmm. And I knew who God had called me to be. And even if we lost everyone, even if everything didn't come back, I was okay because I was the Lord's servant and I would do whatever he asked and I learned to find passion in the moment in the day and let him worry about the bigger picture and really that's how God led me through it and that's I think it's faithfulness like now my dad had a statement that we had to say as kids that Arush never quits and I've got a picture of me and my dad um, that's uh, from when I was a kid he's walking me through the woods and got a, and we're just walking, and underneath it it says "A rush never quits." You gave that to me, thank you. That say revised yet. picture, and but that phrase is true. Like even at my worst, I'm not going to quit. I won't quit. Even somebody else can choose to eliminate me, fire me, do whatever else, but I won't quit. I will be faithful to the Lord to whatever He calls me to do for life. Until he moves me and I am convinced that he will give me what I need to make it through today. Jesus said, Don't worry about tomorrow. Stay in today. And as long as I stand today, I can find joy in today. I can find peace today. And if I stand today, he'll give me my tomorrow's
1: It's interesting being a spouse watching you go through it. I think when I watched your optimism kind of sink and go, and it's almost like you're I don't know if I'd semi retirement mode or whatever, going, Nate, come on, like Let's go. We can do this. And giving more pressure, more expectations, more, come on, we can do this, didn't always help either because it. I think it could add to, I'm not doing enough, not, you know, doing everything right or whatever, you yeah. know, some of that kind of, come on, you can do it, can come out of comparison, like yeah. if we're comparing to other churches yeah. and uh, that kind of thing. But just yeah. taking that, those couple steps back.
0: Yeah, And I think... That's a good point, because how we operated during that time, you had to let me go through my junk. You did. Right? And then there are parts of you that wished it was different, wanted it to be different, perhaps believed that I could be different when I didn't believe it. But your prayers probably meant more to me than your um, words of what I should be doing during that time. So even in that sense, you know, and I, I paid attention to my physical body. I started addressing my habits of sleep. I owned a little bit more of my own boundaries. Um, I was more of a people pleaser where everybody got a yes. And, um, now I'm more likely to say, no, I'm not available right now. I need to, so that helped me. There's some physical things that I learned to do, like when I'm preaching, if I'm under stress, um, that helped me like, so on Sunday mornings, um, I try to stay disconnected from people because I'm a people person, so I want to go walk around and talk to everybody. But that put my blood pressure to a certain level and my stress level to a certain level and affected my preaching. So now I don't, I don't hang out as much with everybody before I preach because that's the most important thing that I do at our church. So um, like even in between services, I go back to the room and I've learned that I can shut the light off. And when I shut the light off, It kind of calms me down. I'm not talking and having conversations with a bunch of people. Brings my blood pressure down, and it enables me to go back out for that next service. Um, Even today, I'm wearing my Steph Curry uh, jersey that uh, our staff gave to me a couple of years ago on my birthday. And he was a team captain and a point guard that sets everybody else up. Steph does something. You know, He's got a longer career. He's in his upper 30s now. And he's the best shooter in the world. But one of the things he does to sustain himself is that he's learned to bring his blood pressure down to as low as possible when he's on the bench so that he can give his highest level of performance when he goes on the floor. And so he has disciplined himself so that he can perform. I've learned to have disciplines myself so that I can perform and have the passion. Otherwise, I lose it.
1: All right. How does a leader discern between a passion of their heart and God's calling? You know, you talk about mm-hmm. Rush never quits. I mean, that was the thing your dad always says, but at some point there is a time to mm-hmm. step back. And
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: how do we know when it's our passion, our, God's calling?
0: Yeah. So um, there's a, there's a number of items that are just basics. One of them is does it line up with the Word of God? It should always go. Is this what God wants? Is this what His Word says? Do I sense it from God that He's speaking it to me? Because sometimes He'll give you a an actual word, or is this other people's expectations of me? And discerning is it God or is it people? Um, is it my my own desires or is it God's desires? Time has a way of revealing that. If it's my desire and I'm doing it, and I'm wiped out and chasing it, maybe God wasn't giving it to me. Maybe I'm swinging at something that God didn't ask me to swing at. So time has a way of doing that. Favor with people. If you have favor with people, sometimes God gives favor, and sometimes he doesn't. Now, in my own case, the the story I just described to you, it didn't feel like God was giving me favor when people weren't giving to the capital campaign. So I'm not saying that the lack of participation and buy-in means that you're doing the wrong thing, but time will reveal that, right? And you have to be faithful to what you feel God has called you to do to complete things. So one of the things that I I know is I've, I've got assignments, so I'm gonna stick through my assignments. I'm gonna work until I have a vacation. I'm gonna have a Sabbath each week and I make sure that I stay within that. I don't give up and I don't quit. From a passion standpoint, I want it to be God's passions, not just mine. And then I think also, and this is huge to me, but um, your closest circle of friends and mentors, you need to be able to drop your guard with them and be able to say, like for me and you, I need to process it with you, pray with you about big things and what's going on inside of me. I don't always have answers for you and you don't always have answers for me, but it's saying, I'm not going to do this alone. And then I do the same thing where I drop my guard in humility with my mentors when I have conversations and ask for their input. So there's kind of a little bit of built in. I'm going to listen to the Lord. I'm going to analyze it myself, but I'm also going to give room for God to speak through those that I trust that are overseeing me.
1: I'd say I'm thinking about like passions when it comes to God's calling, passion for the lost, Mm
0: -hmm. for
1: people who are away from God, for Mm -hmm. discipling people, you know, the great commission, those kind of things. But then there's also our, giftings that can become passion. So like I'm passionate about getting stuff done. Uh I'm passionate about results. I'm passionate about collaborating. Sometimes that plays into a role at church. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's more fun. That's good. And then sometimes it's not as fun and you're kind of like on the grind. So how do you navigate all of those Mm
0: -hmm. things? Well, the scripture, you talked about the scriptural things that were to be passionate about the mission of God Souls are important to God. Are they important to you? You know, though it doesn't line up with where the word of God is on core values of what the church should be about. Fellowship of the saints, the communion of the saints, the, the caring for the widows and the orphans. Are you concerned about those things? Because those should be primary. Um, but then when the church is, is gathered together, Paul spent a lot of time in the epistles in the New Testament talking about how we're to be connected, um, that body parts minister to body parts that were all underneath the head of The church, which is Jesus. And so are we connected in the body? Do we know our role in the body? Are we staying in that setting? And if we are, we'll also be passionate about what the whole body is passionate about. The church is, it's not just a bunch of individuals, but it's also one thing. And I think the church, um, for those that attend Emmanuel, we have our own personal callings and visions for our life, but then we're also connected to the church. What is God saying to the church? When When Jesus would speak to the churches in Revelation, he would say, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Are we listening to what God is saying, not only to me or to my family, but also what is God saying to our church? And if we lean into that, he gives passion for those that are following his vision. So we want to stay connected to the vision that God has for us.
1: So is there ever times that you can really point back to where you're like, I did not have the passion, but I kept pressing through. And I got the passion on the other side. Like, did you ever yeah. feel like a time of just persevering where the passion returned?
0: Yeah, yeah my entire time working at North Central, literally, because I didn't, you know, I didn't get up in the morning so passionate about, you know, at one point when I was the vice president over enrollment, I wasn't like passionate about financial aid and, and admissions. But I discovered that along the way that God allowed me to see the bigger picture and how I was making a difference in people's lives. And that it was important to God. It was important to me. So I need to give my, my best to that. So just persevering is probably the biggest key for me on that. And then asking the Lord, okay, Lord, why should I, why should I care? And discover why God thinks you should care for it.
1: Yep. And I know our mentor, another mentor of ours, Dwight Dennis, said life is best best lived forward and understood backward. And so now as you're further along in ministry and you look back, can you see where some of those harder times played into how God's working in your life now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When I look at the stations that God assigned us to, and those are calling is assignments to me. I'm called to the voice, but he gives me assignments. So I'm assignment my assignment as a youth pastor was one thing, but being at North Central is a huge thing. I moved from department to department to department. I had 11 different offices, uh, oversaw many different things. And all of that in in the context of a larger organization with multiple levels of uh, committees, plus external organizations, All of that became a learning curve for me. I gained new understanding for the future. And of course, when I stepped into being the the lead pastor at Emmanuel, now all of a sudden I took with me all that learning and it's enabled me to lead a complex multi-site church without feeling overwhelmed.
1: And is there a difference to you? Do you think there's a difference between God's calling and the assignment for our life? So if we're called to a certain job or something. Is there a difference between calling and assignment? The only
0: distinction that I would have is the calling is to the voice and what God is calling you to do. The assignment is where he wants you at a particular time. So that same voice says, I want you here. So, but if he calls you to go to another assignment, you're not being disobedient to that first assignment or first voice, if you will, that brought you there. You're just following what God is saying to you for the next so I think the important thing is just embracing fully what God has assigned you to do. Probably the pivotal moment for me that it made sense was in the context of being a youth pastor. Um, I loved hanging out with the students. So like I go on mission trips, I drive and get involved in everything that they're doing. I would sing, I would do, and I love the one-to-one interpersonal connection. I loved on Wednesday night seeing all the students. And there was a point in time at which um, we were running about 300 students and God began to deal with me about um, the students being more connected to youth leaders than to me. And that essentially we were raising up elders or leaders to shepherd the students and that would mean that they no longer were going to look to me. They're now going to have a, a closer relationship with their leader. And it was a big a big loss of something in my life. I think that often happens with leaders. They, they love the feeling that they get when they are in that position of authority and everybody's looking to them. I mean, on Wednesday nights, I'd have a line up the aisle of kids that would come and want prayer every Wednesday night. And I love that. I loved being in the middle of it, but if we were going to grow, then I had to learn to let others be connected to the students closer than I was. And of course that was repeated also with leaders because as our leadership team grew over the years, Um, I loved investing in leaders, and I loved challenging and discipling leaders, but I couldn't do it all personally. I remember we reached the point where we had more youth leaders than we had weeks in the year, and that meant that we couldn't have every youth leader over to our house, and so it became a sheer impossibility um, to be personal bestie friends with every single youth leader. So that was when we were raising up staff underneath us and training them to do what I did and then releasing that, letting go of that. And then over time watching as their stories would be about their favorite youth pastor. And I wasn't in the story. And so it was a loss of the feeling, but a a increase of the kingdom. So I actually was following the call of God and losing something in the process. So my addiction was to how other people made me feel when I did something and the anointing was something different. It, it wasn't to the adrenaline. It was to the voice of God and being obedient to what Jesus was calling me to do. And then the kingdom of God grew through it.
1: My encouragement is just to remember that everything has a season. And even in the hard times, we think about Joseph who had a dream and sometimes there's a nightmare That happens in your life before the dream comes. And so if you keep persevering and knowing that everything is a season, God sees us. He's growing us. He's developing us. And this moment of hard times don't last forever and neither do all the good times last forever, but it all plays together uh, to further his kingdom and to grow us and prepare us. So I just encourage people to keep pressing on and knowing that God is with us and God is with you and he's going to fight for you.
0: If you feel stuck, (laughs) unnoticed, overlooked, forgotten, all of that, just remember the Bible is full of people that God used that had the same scenario. And you've just got to remain faithful where you are so that God can trust you with where he wants you to go. And even if all your peers pass to the next grade, if you will, and you're stuck, Just remember your calling and your destination is different than theirs. He's going to take you where he wants you to be, when he wants you to be there. And the definition of success is accomplishing God's goals and God's timing. And he has a plan and a strategy and a season. Learn what you can learn in this season so that you can pass the test and move to the next.
1: Thank you for listening. If you're new to our podcast, I encourage you to follow and subscribe. If this episode ministered to you, share the podcast with others. And as always, we love hearing from you. Until next time, keep leading well.